Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. Sunday of the year. And now your starting lineup for Ask the Pastors Sunday. Coming in at six foot three from the University of Arkansas, Kyle the Bishop Hubbard. Next up. At six foot one, from the School of Hard Knocks, with honors, Nate, Spirit-filled Nick Saban Cashton. And finally, at six foot zero, from the University of Baylor, Sikkim Bears, Glenn Papaji Hubbard. Alright. Yeah, thank you. Alright guys, welcome to Ask the Pastor Sunday. We're so glad you guys could join us. You guys look incredible, by the way. Thank you so much for being here as we figure out the mic situation. Um, first of all, I just want to say thank you on behalf of um, all the pastors. Um, for submitting uh, your questions. Um, they were awesome. Uh, we really appreciated it. Um, but since I know that the real reason that we're all here is because of the food that's out there, um, we, I'm just kidding. Um, we want to jump into these questions as quickly as possible just so that we can get to as many of them as we can. Question number one. I think we're still getting some mic situation. All right. All right, so question number one, we'll start off a little light. Um, guys, your favorite verse or Bible story, and then why?
bad and it's actually has now quickly become one of my favorites it's jesus is replying to a question by judas not judas iscariot but the other judas about uh why he was going to reveal himself to his disciples and not to the world and so jesus replied anyone who loves me will obey my teaching my Father will love them, and we, Father, Son, will come to them and make our home with them. Mm. And so it's, to me, it's, it's a top one to me because it's a practical way for me to daily demonstrate my love for Jesus. It takes it out of the feelings, emotion realm. Oh, I love you, I love you. It's like, no, Glenn, here's how you love me. You obey what I say. You obey my commands. And what that also does, not only is a way to demonstrate my love, but it reveals Jesus more to me when I obey his commands. Thanks, guys. All right, question number two. What are baptisms? If you're already baptized, why do it again? And is there such a thing as too many baptisms? <laughs> Pastor Nate? <laughs> We're three questions on there, so. Uh, yes to all of them. Okay, got it. <laughs> um, first of all, thank y'all for submitting so many questions. We had tons of questions. We're not going to be able to get to all of them today, and so that, but that's just really, is really cool. So thank you for taking the time to do that. Um, I'm going to center. I'm just going to talk very briefly on this, but uh, specifically on on what we call water baptism, right? And then I'll touch a little bit on a Holy Spirit baptism. So uh, water baptism is what we call like an ordinance, right? Like a, like a sacred thing that we do as, as part of the church. Lots of commands uh, uh, and examples to follow. Jesus was water baptized, right? Uh, but the command from Acts uh, 2.38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that. Uh, even when John the Baptist was baptizing in water, the baptism of repentance in Matthew 3, he said, there's one that's coming after me who will baptize. He said, I'll baptize you with water, but there's one who's coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Yes. Okay? Um, so baptism is, is, a, is a, very, it's a very powerful act, something that we do in the church after you are uh, saved, after you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Then you're water baptized by immersion, which means you go under and then come back up. Um, we do it to, to out of obedience, right? It's how we love God, by obeying, because we're commanded to do it. Uh, we're commanded both to be baptized and to baptize, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, right? Um, and we do it as a, as a way to publicly identify with Christ's life, death, burial, uh, resurrection, uh, and also just as a, as a prophetic symbol to symbolize the baptism of the Holy Spirit, saying, I'm going to do this physical act, Say, I want to actually participate. I want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit as well. As a matter of fact, in Acts 19, the, there was a group of believers that had already been water baptized that had not received the Holy Spirit, and they rebaptized them in water in order to so they could receive the Holy Spirit. Now, is that necessary? No. But they had seen so many people filled with the Holy Spirit at their water baptism that they said, "Get them wet again," and, they, and that was that was their answer. So um, the, se the second part. If you're already baptized, why do it again? 
Um, I would ask, when were you baptized, why and how? Those types of questions. If you're baptized as an infant, the most polite thing I can say to you is it doesn't count. You know, I mean, that's it's just the most polite thing. It's not biblical. It's, it's, more, of a, it's more of a tradition and, and Catholic traditions and things like that. Um, it does not, baptism does not save you, so it doesn't save you if you get baptized as an infant. It doesn't save you if you get baptized as an adult without confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. Uh, if you got baptized into another religion or a cult, um, then that didn't count either. Um, and uh, the, other, the other time that we rebaptize, if you spend a season away from the Lord, you know, whether you got saved as a child and then you lived 10, 20, 30 years away from the Lord and then you came back and rededicated your life to Christ, we rebaptize you then. Um, as well. Uh, are there too many baptisms? Yeah, baptism's not like prayer, right? Where it's like, I'm going to get up and just get baptized today and then tomorrow. And then, you know, I had somebody come up to me and said, hey, if you don't have anybody, you know, sign up for baptisms, I'll, I'll do it again, you know, if you need some. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's not here. This is somewhere. And I said, that's not really how it works. It's very, very sacred. And, um, uh, but yeah, definitely, definitely have re-baptized re people, but, um, and then baptism, but baptism in the Holy Spirit, infinite number of those, right? Uh, Ephesians, I wrote it down, but I wouldn't forget the passage. Ephesians 5.18 literally says, be being filled with the Spirit, meaning it's a continual thing to continue to be filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and for those of you actually to that end, uh, if you baptized today, we have the tank ready to go. So it's warm, the water's warm, and the Holy Spirit's warmer. So just, just know that. Jump on in. Not literally, of course. Uh, question three. Uh, why are there so many denominations? And do we do it right? Pastor Glenn? Well, we are, River in the Hills is a non-denominational church, which basically means not a specific denomination, but we welcome any, anyone from whatever denomination background or no church background at all. Um, so that's, that's good to at least put that out first. The word denomination is not in Scripture. Okay, nothing, nowhere I can find that. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul warns against um, giving any kind of uh, elevated uh, on, you know, following of a person or a group uh, above Jesus. Nothing, no person or, or group should be above Jesus. So, um, in, in fact, what he says there is he says uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 4 and 5, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each one his task, I planted, Apollos watered, but the Lord gave the increase. And so the big thing to keep in mind about people, teachers, certain sets of doctrines or denominations is they are all a means to an end, which is falling more in love with Jesus and growing in Christ. So whatever denomination that you, you have been in or, or where you may be a visitor today in a denomination, know that that's the end result is knowing him more and making Jesus known more. 
So um, though there are lots of denominations, every church should be endeavoring to have its identity be found in Jesus as Lord and Savior and as head of the church. Um, no one does it perfectly right. I like, do we do it right? We're not, we don't, no one does it perfectly right. But primarily, think about this, the church is not a set of rules. It is a relationship. You don't do relationships perfectly right, but we are in relationship with one another. The same with, with Christ, the head of the church. So we certainly want to obey him as, as a church, and every church should, and it should be to the end of us growing more and more Christ-like and uh, giving him more and more glory. Usually denominations are born out of some kind of doctrinal difference or out of a revival, okay? Doctrinal differences or revivals. Some examples, Presbyterians, that word is presbyteros. It means overseer or elder. So Presbyterian church was born as a response uh, to the Catholic church that the Presbyterian church was born out of a, a, the church was led by a group of elders or a presbytery, okay, versus a consolidated authority in one man like the pope, a bishop, a priest, okay? So that's how you, the Presbyterian denomination came. Lutherans came named for Martin Luther, and it became a, a denomination as a reaction or response to the, the rules of the, the Catholic Church at the time. Uh, Romans 5.1 says, We are justified or made righteous by faith and not by works. Okay, so that was that, that whole was built on that truth that we're not earning our salvation. Okay, so that's how Lutherans came. I'm, I'm not going to bore you with all, every, every single one. How many hundreds are there? But Pentecostals were born out of the, baptism, the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the speaking in tongues. In fact, the Assemblies of God a denomination. How many of you know the Assemblies of God denomination? That was born out of the Azusa Street Revival, 1906 to 1908. So in 1914, the uh, Assemblies of God was, was, was denomination was birthed. And again, it was uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit with, with tongues. So I could go further, but I think I'll end with that. There are other doctrinal things that can cause denominations to, to come up, but the main unifying factor for all denominations is it salva our salvation. In other words, what distinguishes a denomination from a cult is that our salvation is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's by grace through faith in Jesus, not as a result of works. And so a man named Rupertus Mildenius, a German Lutheran theologian, said this, he said, with, when you look at denominations, in essentials, we should have unity, the essential truths. In non-essentials, we should have liberty. We should love the Baptists, love the Presbyterians, love, okay. In essentials, we should have unity. How do we get saved? In non-essentials, we should have liberty. In all things, we should have love. We should have charity. In essentials, unity, non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity.
That's Pastor Glenn. Kyle, do you want to add to that? Just real quick. Um, each denomination has a unique glory, like the multifaceted a diamond of God. Each denomination presents a unique glory of our Father, and so we should honor them and love them. And I think about it as terms of light and the visible spectrum. God is pure, brilliant, white light. And when, it, when white light shines through a prism, it refracts into seven different colors, but really it refracts into 360 different wavelengths. And so 360 degrees around the earth, there's a complete, um, basically, representation of God that he wants to do through each denomination, through each church, through each leader, through each individual. And so when we can celebrate the uniqueness of each person, of each leader, of each denomination, we can really succeed in, in God's heart towards unity. And so I think about it that way. As he refracts through people differently, just like light refracts through a prism in different wavelengths, and we can honor and celebrate that. Yeah, and Kyle, I've heard you say, um, and I don't think it's original to you, but you've said to me, every stream thinks it's the river. And so it's really important for us to understand that all streams coalesce into the one river that is Jesus. So I just I always appreciated that. I think it's good one thing to know that part of uh, Kyle's role here at River in the Hills is he does do outreach to the various uh, church denominations and groups in the city of Austin to help see revival for the city, mm -hmm. to foster revival. So that's part of his view as you pray for him and Brooke is they're more they're they're like we call them cross pollinators around the city, but they're helping to foster revival as in a sense local missionaries out of River in the Hills. That's good. All right, question number four. With all the things that are going on in the world now, how can we know that God still wants good for us? Pastor Glenn. Well, we sang that, Marissa. Didn't we sing We Are Good? Well, Marissa, this, the song. Beautiful. Yeah, what she said. Um, I woke up this morning. Again, this is how I kind of do. I woke up first. I listened to the prayer, International House of Prayer. They're singing prayer meetings all the time. So I woke up. First words I heard about this idea of Lord is good. She sings uh, Misty, uh, not Misty, Sarah Edwards sings, Lord, you are gracious. You are slow to anger. You are rich in love, in mercy. You are good to all. And I was like, oh, that's beautiful. And that's a, there's, there's a, the Bible tells us God is good. Believe that, regardless of how we feel. That's Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. It's who he is. Three, re three ways we can be convinced that God is good no matter what's going on. The Bible says he's good, okay? The word tells us, look at his past record of goodness in your life. He's been good. He's given you good. He's always given me better than I deserve because I deserve hell. You see? He's always given me better. His leadership is perfect. So the word tells us he's good. Our past record is evidence that he's good. And third, if you ever get that crash in, God, you're not good. Remember, consider the cross. Consider what he did for you. 
I love, I think Kyle has said this before, someone said it, it's a little gross, but he bled out for you. He shed every drop of his blood. Romans 8 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, but gave him up for us freely. How will he not also freely give us all things? Now, there is suffering that's a part of our life. There are momentary light afflictions, the Bible calls them. But that's a part of us growing in our love relationship because the way we respond to suffering allows a deepening of our love and our knowing that he's good. He's even good during those sufferings. So. So good. Kyle, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I just say we're promised trials, we're promised suffering, but the Lord promises, like my dad was closing with, to use every trial, use every suffering to actually produce growth in us. So his means of growing us, he does it in various ways, but one of his primary ways is, is to build an endurance muscle in us. And I also like to think that only in this life can we give God a sacrifice of praise. Only in this life can we sing to him through pain. Because in heaven, we will not be able to do that. Everything will be perfect and good. So this is a unique time to sing to the Lord and to choose joy in the middle of pain. It means so much to him. It means so much. And you're building yourself eternal rewards and eternal monuments when you sing through the pain and when you keep enduring in faith. This is the only time we get to do this, to sing in the dark. So good. Question five. How do you explain to kids and tweens, I guess and also teens, right? Like all of them. Why their friends think that homosexuality is acceptable and we do not. Kyle, we'll start with you. Yeah, ways. God calls it an abomination. In Leviticus 18, it's an abominable act. So it grieves the heart of God. And just like we were saying earlier, we have to believe the word of God over what culture is saying. Even what our own feelings might say sometimes. There, there might be people in the room that that is a struggle for you. That's okay. That's not a sin that it's a struggle for you. But it's an abominable act like all sin is. And so we have to agree with what the word says first, that it's an abominable act, and God hates it. He hates the act. He doesn't hate the person, but he hates the act, just like he hates all sin. Second, it's un this is how you can explain it to kids. It's unnatural. And the kids know that they got here because of a man and woman coming together. They might not know that. This is a great chance to tell them. But because a man and a woman got together, life came forth. It's so unnatural that no life can come from a homosexual union. It's so against God. God is for life. The devil is not for life. And so God is for life, and he's for children. And you cannot have children in a homosexual union. It's unnatural. It doesn't produce life. That's second. Third, it's a sign of the end of the age, and it's the height of pride. In uh, Second Peter or Second Timothy um, three two, it says the first sign of the end of the age is that men will be lovers of self, 
We know this with the selfie generation. Men will be lovers of self. But when you, when you engage in a homosexual union, you're literally loving someone who's, who's like you, a man. A man loving a man, a woman loving a woman. So it's actually the height of pride. And so those three reasons, it's abominable act to God. It's unnatural. It doesn't produce life. And it's the height of pride. I have the, I've had these conversations with, with my kids and other, other kids and teenagers, and I, I hear in the question, you know, the specific of, like, how do you tell your kid why kids their age think differently than they do? And, um, and I, I, the way I explain it is I just tell them that they, they haven't, that either they don't know Jesus or they don't have a full revelation of his heart for, uh, but they haven't made things important to them that are important to him. Uh, you, you guys probably know believers, you know, who, who are very, you know, supportive of homosexual lifestyles. It's unfortunate. It's very contradictive uh, to Scripture, as Kyle just said. Uh, and they, they, we continue, we need to pray for them. And we also need to continue to be a voice into their lives, especially ones we have a relational equity with, and just tell them about what they're doing and, and supporting. It's very, it's not only is it just blatantly sin and wrong and demonic, but it's very dangerous. Um, one of the ways that I explain to my kids um, homosexuality is by always building up first uh, the biblical model for relationship. Uh, people are like, tell me why homosexuality is wrong. I'm like, let me tell you why uh, natural marriage is right. Let me tell you what, why God's heart is for, is for a natural marriage. And then what it does is it puts, because homosexual relationships aren't the only wrong relationships. There's lots of other wrong relationships, sleeping together before you're married, pedophilia, all kinds of stuff. That's not, you know, and, uh, but if we talk about the genuine and we talk about the right, it paints all the other stuff as wrong. So that, that's one of the ways I do it. So it's really good. Question number six, why do you think, uh, or what, do, excuse me, what do you think about fraternities and sororities that are labeled as quote unquote Christian? Pastor Glenn. I'll go real quick because it doesn't necessarily necessarily applied up most many of us but real quick on it um if in the middle of a ceremony in a fraternity or sorority you are swearing an oath to like if i if i reveal the secrets of this sorority or fraternity or if i reveal the secrets of this initiation ceremony May something bad happen to me. That I caution against any kind of swearing of oaths. Making the Bible would I could describe it as unscriptural covenants. Don't you know? Their life and death. Proverbs eighteen twenty one is in the power of the tongue, <clears throat> and we need to be careful what we say in the name of playing a game or just oh it was just loose talk. If you're speaking. Things over your life like that, you are true. You're actually speaking curses. Now, I'm not saying bad things will out immediately happen. And those many in this room, I'm sure you've been in fraternity or sorority. I'd just say if you did anything like that, and you remember, just just ask the Lord to forgive and cleanse that and and move up, move forward. But uh, it's powerful what our words what our words say. So James five twelve says, "Do not swear an oath." Don't swear an oath, uh, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. So there's lots of grace in that, but I think we're in an hour where we have to watch how we, how much, we, what our, what words do come out of our mouth.
in a greater way. So, Lord, keep a watch over our lips, Lord. May the words of our mouth and meditations of our heart be pleasing to you. That's good, Pastor Glenn. Question number seven. Uh, this is a, obviously a personal question um, that we received. Um, I've received prayer from multiple believers in the body of Christ for healing for a part of my body. Some who are known for having a gift of healing or have a track record. I understand the Lord does this through them. Why hasn't the Lord healed this part of my body? Kyle, do you want to start? You're going to start. Just Yeah, I just say that we look at Jesus as the standard in the Bible. He is perfect. Jesus is perfect theology. And whenever he was presented with a case of someone who needed healing, he always healed and they were always made better. And we are commanded in, in many places to pray for the sick, to lay hands on the sick, to anoint with oil even, and believe that God will heal. And so all I know is that Jesus is a standard. He always healed. We were called many places to do the same things and even bigger things than he did. And so we keep going after it. And there is a level of mystery in this age. We, we, talk, we saw it in Psalm 110.3 that we're in this until period, until Jesus' enemies are made his footstool. We see them in some areas, some areas in some people's bodies and their lives, the enemy is made a footstool and they're healed. In some areas, it's not yet. So we're in this already but not yet tension of the kingdom. And we do know when the Lord comes back and restores all things, there will be no more pain, no more crying, no more sickness, no more death. So we, we bring that reality as best we can with what Scripture commands us to do into the here and now. And when we don't see it, yes, there can be real disappointment. It's, it's okay to be disappointed, but you keep going after it. You keep going after it. So that's uh, just a few, few thoughts on that. Yeah. I just want to, whoever this person is, if you're here in the room and you've had the courage to receive prayer from multiple people throughout the years, good job. Yes. A lot of people receive prayer one time, don't get healed and quit. And so I, I just commend your courage because it is hard to go over and over and over and get prayer and not see a breakthrough. Um, I agree with Kyle. There's mystery. I agree with Kyle 100% on everything that he said, that Jesus is the standard that we live to. One thing I would just add, and maybe this applies to you, just the, the way that the question is worded, I think it might be relevant. I believe this is from the Spirit. Why hasn't the Lord healed this part of my body? There's part of me that wants to say, well, he already did. But now I understand that some of you be like, what? But, but everything that's needed for life um, it was paid for and provided for at Calvary. So while we still... We still don't walk in the full freedom of that. Obviously, there, where people get sick, people get hurt, people die. And this is going to happen until Jesus comes back. Our way of thinking has to be such that our experience doesn't dictate our theology, but the Bible does. When it comes, to, when it comes specifically to healing, when it comes to, you know, is God healing through a person? Is a person doing the healing? You know, all those questions. You worded it correctly. There's things in parentheses this person's wrote that are not up on the board. But um, yes, the Lord is the healer. Yes, he sometimes uses us in the laying on of hands or anointing of oil or, or sometimes not. Sometimes right. he just shows up and sovereignly heals. Um, but I think uh, w having a full understanding that 
Jesus doesn't actually need to do anything else. He doesn't need to die anymore. He doesn't need to atone anymore. He doesn't need to, to, to write any more checks, uh, so to speak, for, for your breakthrough to happen. And so I, I just encourage you, and I, I think that, you know, whoever wrote this, you probably know this, maybe it's repetitive, but for anyone else in the room who can be encouraged by it, um, you know, God is, God is good, and we believe that he desires uh, health and abundance for his kids, just like you desire health and abundance for your kids. None of you would walk up to your kid with a syringe full of cancer and put it in his arm and say, hey, this is for your good. That's stupid. So uh, sickness and disease come from the devil, but we live in a very, in a very broken world, and we have to fight uh, for breakthroughs from that brokenness. So I would just encourage you, keep going. Keep getting prayer. Keep, don't stop. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. And I've seen people get prayer for years and then finally get the breakthrough. And then I've seen people that don't even know about healing get healed in a worship service when no one prays for them. And you're like, that's not fair. I believe all this stuff. You don't even believe it, you know? And anyway, so that's all I got. Oh, I'm not answering this, but I just feel prompted to do this. Could you all just pray with me for a second? This is not a big, I just, uh, not a big, going to open a can of worms. But Father, in agreement with these, I ask for the healing of any side effects from the vaccine, from the uh, COVID vaccine. Lord, I ask even now, it's still obviously, in a sense, guinea pig phases so father i just i just we just stretch out our faith our shield of faith for healing and for the diminishing of any side effects uh down the road even now in jesus name may your people walk in health and prosper even as their souls prosper in jesus name amen Amen. All right. Question number eight. How do we overcome our feeling of insignificance and unworthiness? Pastor Glenn, do you want to start with that one? Yeah. Don't live by your feelings. It says feelings, and I understand the feelings, but we can't live by our feelings. That's part of maturing. And Let God's word, what God says about you and how significant you are, rule you and run you. Uh, let God's word be your anchor. Take thoughts captive as well. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. It's the, the enemy is accusing you of being insignificant, others around you, but take those thoughts captive um, somebody said it <clears throat> this way, when the, when the devil tries to call me, you know, like your cell phone, you see who's calling, uh, push decline. <laughs> Don't answer it. Don't entertain that. Um, it is written, he loves me with the same love as the Father loves me. John 15, 9 is an example. Pastor Nate, you want to add to that? No, just one thing. Bill Johnson said, if you had a friend that lied to you as much as your feelings did, you would stop being friends with them. <laughs> if you had a friend that lied to you as much as your feelings do, you would stop being friends with them. Thank you for not dropping the mic after saying that. I appreciate it. All right, question number nine. It's a bit of a long one. Why do we hear things from the Old Testament don't apply to us as New Testament believers. For example, why did God destroy people groups in the Old Testament? Could he do this today like sending angels to slay people? 
how do we know what things from the Old Testament apply to us, like rebuking the devourer for tithing in his Old Testament versus we are no longer uh, under the law? Pastor Glenn, it's a real light question for you, so go ahead. And Some things, I'll be quick. Some things in the Old Testament, um, they don't apply to us as New Testament believers in that the Old Testament has a lot of rules, a lot of laws and things. They don't apply to us in that we don't have to follow them in order to earn righteousness. Okay, but yet many of the Old Testament laws are, are good. They're good and moral. They're how a society functions. I mean, like the Ten Commandments, right? So, but we don't follow the Ten Commandments to then say, okay, now I go to heaven because I follow them. In fact, nobody can follow the Ten Commandments perfectly. I mean, we've... How many, we break, we, I mean, we break uh, when we lie. When's the last time we lied? Okay, when's the last, I mean, don't look at me like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, so we, we break them. So there's, but, but it, I love it. Romans um, says that, that Romans 10, 4, that Jesus is the end of the law concerning being made righteous. So he now that we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, it's His righteousness that we that causes us by faith to, to walk and to live. So we're not looking at the Old Testament through the lens of a bunch of do's and don'ts that we have to, to follow. But here's the kicker. We accept Christ, we get a new nature, then we're empowered to walk in so many of the ways. I, I love the word the laws of God. Many times that the Hebrew there is the ways of God. You walk in his ways, and we need his power to walk in those ways. Um, also, the idea that old, how do Old Testament portions apply to us? Many, uh, many, there are many promises of God in the Old Testament that we should look at and take as a promise for me. Okay, like this tithing. When you tithe, the devour, Malachi 3.11, the devourer is rebuked when you tithe. That is a promise that through Christ is, is a promise for us. It, it, and the, the tithing is a condition. God makes the promise, I will rebuke the devourer when you meet this condition of tithing. The Old Testament is full of these conditions we meet, and then he promises us something. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. That's 2 Chronicles 7.14. That's four conditions that God says, now I'm going to do these three things. Heal, your, heal, the, heal the land, forgive your sin, okay? Hear from heaven. So that's what I have on that. That's really good. Yeah, and I would even say this too. We know that the New Testament standard for holiness and righteousness is actually higher than the Old Testament right. standard. Jesus said, if you look on a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. If you looked on a woman with lust in your heart in the Old Testament, you didn't commit adultery. He said, if you have anger for your brother in your heart, um, that's, that's like the sin of murder. And so in the Old Testament, if you had anger towards your brother in your heart, it wasn't murder. And so there is a greater standard in the New Testament, but the Holy Spirit lives in us now. So we're empowered to actually live up to the higher standard of the law of the heart. Old Testament is outside in, New Testament is inside out. 
And we are able to live inside out as holy, righteous vessels because of the Holy Spirit. To answer the question, why did God destroy people groups in the Old Testament? He is a judge. And he, in his heart, his holy heart as a judge, he determined that they were at the point that they were past repentance and it was time for them to be judged. The angel of the Lord in one night killed 185,000 Assyrians. And the, the question is, will God do this again or could he do this again? Yes, he will do it again. When he comes back, all the nations of the earth will be surrounding Jerusalem, ready to wipe her off the planet and ready to wipe us as the church who's standing with Jerusalem off the planet. But he is going to fight for us. Zechariah 14, 3 says this, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. We want the Lord to do this. We want him to fight our battles. We don't want these people to die and to go to hell. But if he deems them as past repentance and it's their time, that he will. We love our Lord as a, as a righteous warrior and a judge. And, and he's perfect in his judgments. So, yes. And, it, and I just say this. His character did not change from the Old and New Testament. He's the same. The Old Testament is so much more relevant than we know. You will find him on every page because Christ is the word. It changed, it, the covenants changed because of Jesus, but his heart did not change. He is consistent through the ages. So good. All right, we're going to do one more. I know you all, but we're going to do one more. We, this doesn't have to be the last ask the pastors either. Here's the last question. Can I for interrupt one thing? I, I just had meant to say this earlier. Today... We're going to eat food in here, and we can be as sloppy as we want because this, this carpet's going to get torn up after this. So I just needed to announce that earlier. Part of me in my moments of carnality said, you know, we could have a food fight in here. But then the Holy Spirit reined me in. No, we say no to that, all right? All right. Sorry. I'm sorry. Cancel. I got, We're going to cancel the student, food fight. Bad student. Put me in the corner. Okay. All right. Last question. What is the difference between prayer and intercession? How do you grow in intercession? How do you grow in prayer? How do you grow to be a Corey Russell or a Billy Humphrey? Can everyday people get this far and farther, or do you need a season at a place like IHOP, International House of Prayer, where that is all you do? Kyle, do you want to? Yeah, I just say prayer, the difference between prayer and intercession. Prayer is just relationship with God. It's talking to God, listening to him all throughout your day. We're actually called to pray unceasingly. We can do this. Just like we talk to our spouse or our best friend often, we talk to the Lord. That's prayer. It's talking to God, listening to him, responding. A two-way street, a two-way dialogue. Intercession is prayer, but it's a, a lot more focused, direct act of prayer. And in intercession, you're literally standing in the gap before God on behalf of, of a person, uh, a people group, uh, a nation. You, you, the scope of, of your intercession that you're standing in the gap is dependent on your faith and what the Lord has called you to. So intercession is standing on the gap before God on behalf of a prayer target in a very intentional, focused way. And what you're doing in intercession is you're, you're averting God's judgment by asking for mercy and for salvation and for healing on your prayer target. So you're literally getting in the way. Like God is ready to judge a person or he's, he's ready to, yeah. And you're standing 
for mercy. That's, that's intercession, and he really loves intercessors. We're all called to be intercessors. He's always been an intercessor. He ever lives to make intercession. So you're, you're, you, in intercession, you get so close to the heart of Jesus because this is he, his eternal job description. He is an intercessor. He ever lives to make intercession. So when you stand in the place of intercession, you get so close to him, and you bear his burdens, and you feel what he feels, and you think what he thinks. How do you grow in prayer? Seven quick ways. Pray. Try it out. Talk to him. Listen to him. Second is to pray, read the word. Pray, read the word. That's when you're reading through the Old Testament, reading through the New Testament, reading through the Psalms. You see a promise or you see a verse. Speak that verse back to God. That's prayer. Say, touch my, touch my heart with this reality that you're seeing in the Bible. So turn the Bible into conversation. Pray, read the word. That's how you can really grow in prayer. Third, pray the actual prayers of the Bible. There are many what are called apostolic prayers in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul actually prayed for specific churches. So when you pray the prayers of the Bible, you know you're praying the perfect will of God. And your heart will, be, will come alive with that spirit of prayer that rested on Paul and the first apostles. And then all the promises in the Old Testament that are, that are prayers. Pray those, those prayers of the Bible. Fourth, get around people who have lifestyles of prayer. Make friends with intercessors. Make friends with prayer warriors. Get around them because what they carry will rub off on you and you'll grow in prayer. Uh, fifth, uh, pray in the spirit if you have your prayer language. Praying in tongues is a great way to pray unceasingly. And you will start to pray, or you will pray the perfect will of God as you're praying in your, your prayer language. But you'll actually start to be able to understand with your, with your understanding what the right prayers are to pray when you pray in tongues. Sixth, set times of prayer and keep them. Say, on, on Mondays at 11 a.m. for 30 minutes, I'm going to pray. Tuesdays at 6 a.m., I'm going to get up early and pray for an hour. Make times throughout your week. Schedule times of prayer and keep them. You will pray so much more as you do this. And, and seventh and last is you can use lists. Utilize lists. God is not afraid of lists. If you need to write out lists and specific declarations. And to answer the question about Corey Russell or Billy Humphrey, for those of you who don't know, these are, these are amazing men of God who have uh, big-time ministries in prayer and intercession and sparking revival through prayer and intercession. First answer to this is don't be like Corey Russell or, or Billy, Billy Humphrey. Be like you. God made you unique. Everything, he, he made us all different. And so be you. Yes, learn from them. Learn how they spend their time. And then some of their, the ways that God uses them, he might use you in that way or might choose you to use, use you in a different way. But the best way, if you see something in someone that you really like, Look how they spend their time. Talk to them. How do you spend your time? Because how they spend your time, when you start spending it that way, you will start to operate in that kind of anointing and power. And uh, you don't need a place. You don't need a season at a place like IHOP uh, to get somewhere. You can, God can do more in five minutes than, than you can do in five years. But you have a place like this, this Lake Travis Prayer Room. You have people at this church and other churches around who are mighty in prayer. And yes, seasons at those places help, and they're great, but they're not necessary. You can get all of that uh, by being around people of prayer in this very room. I just want to add one more thing to that. When he says schedule times to, to set aside to pray, schedule those times in our prayer room. If, you're, if you have trouble at your house because it's a distracting environment for you, 
That's why we've created the Lake Travis Prayer Room as a distraction-free environment, worship-filled and God-centered. And I've found it so helpful for me to go to a different location than where I am at currently because it means I'm, I'm setting intention to go somewhere to pray. Jesus went away to pray. He went to the mountain to pray. So by going and bringing yourself, your physical body, into another location, you're actually, you're, you're telling your mind, you're telling your heart, you're telling your spirit, hey, we're here to pray. That's why we came here. And it just, it reframes and reshapes um, and gives direction and focus for what Kyle was talking about. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.